We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. Like craft beer for your ears. This is the PT Pinecast. All right, we're live. Welcome back to the show. Before we get started, I want to say thanks to our friends from CBDRX for you. Uh, CBD, something that's uh, that's come up in the last couple of years, frequently used by a lot of your patients, right? You might not be prescribing it as a physical therapist. But if your patients are using it, you want to know how that's going to affect treatment, how that's going to affect um, maybe something you know inside a session or their course of treatment. The problem is there's a lot of information out there. I don't know if you've been to Google lately, but there's a lot of misinformation. And you don't have a lot of time. Uh, so that's why our friends at cbdrx for you have sorted it out for you. Uh, so head over there. Find out the latest. It's headed up by a physician, Dr. Tony. Find out the latest. And this way, you'll go into treatment sessions confident and ready to go and field those questions about CBD. They're becoming more and more common. Uh, be a confident and up-to-date clinician with that information. So again, cbdrx4u.com. And at our website, they're actually we're giving away some pint glasses. Who doesn't love free stuff? I do. Uh, just drop your email address in at our website, ptpinecast.com, and uh, they're going to ship you, I think, a sample of their CBD information, CBD samples, why not, as well as one of those free pine classes. So again, that website, cbdrx4u.com. You can go there. All right, now let's uh, let's officially start the show. All right, welcome to PG Pinecast. My name is Jimmy McKay. I'm a physical therapist. This show uh, attempts to, anyway, save physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories in the world of physical therapy. They're out there. You know this. You go to conferences. Sometimes you go to the networking hour, and that's where you run into interesting people. And you hear these stories. That's what this podcast attempts to do is to bring those together. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do tonight. Uh, make sure you uh, follow us on the socials at PT Pinecast, on the Instagram, on the Twitter. It makes me sound old when I call it the Instagram, doesn't it? Putting the in front of something doesn't sound better. It actually sounds worse. Uh, and also subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. The show is and always will be free for you, the audience. Uh, we're on uh, iTunes, on uh, Google, Spotify, all the major uh, carriers there. So uh, subscribe to the show. Never miss an episode. And we always say, if you do want to say thank you, the best thing to do is say something, you know, kind of tag us in it. Hey, got got some value out of that episode. We love that. Uh, we also want to say, uh, tell a friend, tell a colleague. Hey, listen to this show. is really great. Uh, we are broadcasting this live on Facebook. And if you're watching there on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, if you got a question, if you got a comment, Feel free to put that below if we can uh, bring it into the show. We love that as well. Uh, let's get into today's uh, episode. Uh, today's guest is a pelvic physical therapist, professor at University of Texas, Austin, Dell Medical School, and founder of a sex education platform called UC Logic. Let's welcome into the show, Yuchenna Osai. Yuchenna, welcome to the show. Did I do it right? Was it good, bad, or indifferent? That was perfection i will reveal um, we were practicing that moments before but i get <laughs> nervous because i want to nail the name um because I, I you know because that's the first thing you're doing so i want to start sure. off on a good foot uh but most people know you from know you as your nickname right online and like kind of in your socials as you see yeah yeah absolutely all it's right it's just yeah it's just the first two letters of my name you see 
and UC Logic again is uh, yeah. is, uh, yeah. is the website and the handle. Uh, yeah. You see, we get the hard questions out of the way first. So just get okay. all the hard ones out of the way. First question. Okay. Okay. What are we drinking tonight? I am drinking a gin and tonic in a mug. A mug. <laughs> in a mug. Because, well, it's botanist gin. Botanist gin. Botanist gin. I heard of botanist gin uh, from my good friend and colleague, Dr. Jennifer Hale. Yes. And she got me addicted. So I'm having the fever tree Indian tonic water with a slice of lemon and some botanist. Wow. Cheers yeah. to you. Uh, I am because I, now see, I tried to match our drinks because I was, I was uh -huh. some of your social media stuff. And I mm -hmm. said, all right, I think I know what she's going to drink. So I went with bourbon one ice cube because you, we'll get to why I guessed bourbon. But a minute ago, you mentioned it was in a mug. So the only mug I had clean in my cabinet was one I got from a friend. Just, I, you know what? So I just figured this is very nice. I freaking love it. I love it. I love it. I completely love it. And I would have bourbon, but I'm not at home because oh. I live in Austin, Texas. Oh, and you're with that's weather. It's weather. So I was in Miami this weekend working on UC Logic stuff, and they kept canceling my flight and canceling my flight. And so I am, I am here in Miami, staying you're with my amazing friend. You're in, in the right spot. You're in the yeah. right spot right now. Wow. All I right. Well, I hope everything turns out okay. I'm hearing some, you know, some pipe stories, and I live in the Northeast, so I'm kind of used to, uh, you know, some of that. But you guys weren't prepared. I mean, Texas doesn't no. have and stuff like that. We don't do that. Like we don't do this freezing seven single digit degree weather. Like I went to school in Boston and Chicago, so I'm I'm used to that. But not, you know, as a homeowner, I I'm panicked. But luckily. My friend Jennifer Hale, who's also my next door neighbor, neighbor has been checking on my home. Nice. So, fingers crossed. Where are you I, from? I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. So you've come full circle. Well, at least I, yeah. I never thought I would come back to Texas, and then yeah. And now we're here. And that's how the cookie crumbles. Well, cheer, cheers, cheers to you as we get it. I'll drink my bourbon one rock. Nice, nice. Which bourbon are you drinking? Uh, this is Angel's Envy. Mm -hmm. My birthday from one of my best friends, and I'd never heard of it. Now I love it. It's delicious. It's, it's delicious. Uh, like it thanks to our friends, actually, also from Texas, uh, Johnny Owens at Owens Recovery Science for bringing you the the uh, the first round. Uh, they're a single source for clinicians looking to get BFR. Uh, cool kids are calling it BFR, blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Uh, training. Johnny and his team, Kyle Kimbrell, they're experts at this. OwensRecoveryScience.com. If you're looking to integrate this into your practice. And then I, hard, I always hard pause properly. You want to look this up, okay? I mean, some people are doing it kind of fly by the seat of their pants. Johnny's got the research. I mean, if you if you look up the research, Johnny's name is usually on it. Uh, so find them at, online at owensrecoveryscience.com, or they also have their own podcast where they get real rabbit holy into BFR stuff. So uh, thanks to Owens Reco uh, Recovery Science for uh, bringing you the first round. All right, you see, so uh, I, I picked bourbon. Why did I pick bourbon as your drink, as my drink tonight while I was trying to match you? You do something on your social media really well, by the way. Thank you. I want I you to share that. what you do. And then I want to talk about like, how did you, why did you decide to share information in that medium, which I think was a brilliant move. So what do you do for the Thank audience? Thank you. So I love bourbon. I love whiskey. I love all of the things brown water, as my colleague, uh, Teresa water. Reed says. Uh, I love brown water. And I, one of my goals when I started UC Logic was to actually make 
talking about sex and sexuality, comfortable. I wanted to normalize the conversation. And the thing is, you know, we've, we've all been through PT school. We've all been through any, some type of education. And, you know, when you're learning about things, you know, you have this traditional learning format. Someone's talking at you, telling you the information. But, you know, sexual health kind of needs to be this process. It's a give and take. And I felt like, what is the great equalizer? Hmm. Booze. It is. It really is. Especially, you know, because people get loose-lipped when they have a little cocktail. And they ask, start asking questions about their business. And I'm like, well, why don't we just bring the business in front of the camera and get people to just talk about it in the open? So what people do, and people actually ask me, you know, you see, when you talk about these things, do people actually submit questions? Yes, people DM me, they email me. Uh, I get text messages if they have my cell phone number. I People get message me through my website. And so I answer people's questions about sexy time while drinking a cocktail. And what's really important is I, I always select questions that I get multiple times. So if I get the same question at least two or three times, it's okay. going in the pool to be answered because then I know that a lot of people have the same question. Okay. Every once in a while, there's like a one-off that I think everyone needs to hear. But for the most part, it's a question that I answer, not because I want, not because I think it's a better one, but because I've gotten a lot of questions right. on it. You look super comfortable doing it. And I was yeah. taught in PT school, um, a conversation about anything will be as weird as you, the clinician, make it. So yeah. I think you doing this, number one, the person asking the question is not, you know, in the videos that you share, which no. is good because right? you want people to feel comfortable, you know, yeah. not identified. Um, but you come off as uh, as really comfortable, which as somebody who studied communications is like, that's a mate. That's the major thing you're looking for. Is this right. is awkward? If it is. I feel awkward and I don't want to engage in this or I don't want to, I don't want to watch yeah. anymore, but you come off really comfortable. Was that hard in the beginning of, you know, your career in talking about sexy time, um, getting reps doing that to, to get to that comfortable level? Cause that's, I mean, you, it comes across really clearly is what I'm trying to get at. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, you know, a couple of things. So I, you know, as a pelvic health PT, we, we get, we're used to talking about, body parts, private parts, but everyone assumes that all pelvic health PTs are comfortable talking about sexy time, and that isn't the case. And so I knew that I needed the skill set to even do sexual counseling um, with patients and, and as a side hustle uh, before, I, before I kind of brought it into the universe. So I, I, did, a, I did a certification pro program at University of Michigan. So I went to their sexual health certification program. I did my uh, certificate in sexual education and sexual counseling. I And that was a year-long program where we did wow. a sexual attitude reassessment. I had to fly out to Michigan from Houston. That's where I was living at the time. I think I did that five times throughout the year. We did all this online. It was a lot. Yeah. And I had to practice my skills over and over and over again. And it was with it was with clergymen, it was with physicians, nurses, teachers, everyone across the board. So it was a multidisciplinary learning space, which I thought was so fantastic because then I actually could understand and talk to a therapist who was getting training to do sex therapy and be like, what do you actually do? Because I didn't understand it sure. myself. And so that's why I, I have that comfort level. I practiced it. But also I, I fundamentally believe that you can't Talk about it if you yourself haven't done the work, which you can also translate that to racism 
and all the things. Like I know my bias when it comes to sex. I know what my limits are when it comes to sex. I do not answer questions on certain topics because that is not my comfort zone. And I'm good with that, you know? And I'm very plain spoken about the things that I talk about because I think that that me modeling that for people at least shows them that it's normal, that it's okay. And that's super, super important, especially when we talk about sexy time. So that's a long, that's a long program a year, right? Oh, yeah. So do oh, you, yeah. was it, was, was a big part of it. So you, you identify just two, a couple elements right there. Number one, it was a lot of different um, disciplines, right? A lot of people yeah. along with you and then reps. And I think the yes. thing with reps and you can look at it like bicep curls or right. reps doing something is it will expose your weakness. And if you're really, if you're really reflecting on uh, what am I gravitating towards? It's probably something you're comfortable with. What am I trying to avoid? Probably something you're not comfortable with. And where are you going to get the most gains uh, improving my weakness? Um, what, what, what was the biggest thing that you took away from that? Or what, what did you walk out of? Describe how you felt when you walked out, like completing it. I have to tell you, I can I tell you how I felt walking in. Yeah, and yeah, how, yeah. And I have, so the only reason I, yeah, the only reason I did this program was because I wanted didactic training on sexual health. I wanted to know my business. I wanted to know it well. And I don't know if that's a Nigerian thing where my parents are like, whatever you do, garbage man, artist, PT, you need to be excellent. And that I'm thinking, okay, University of Michigan is one of the top institutions in our nation. They have this program. You know, how how do I do this? How do I learn this? So I didn't I didn't go in wanting, I didn't want to get my AASX certification. I didn't care about that. I'm like, I'm a PT. We don't value that like <laughs> at the time, you know? And so I walked in kind of just wanting to learn. And I walked out feeling even, feeling validated in my decision. I felt proud of myself for putting myself out there for learning. And I knew that the world was my oyster even more. I just opened more doors for myself and for my patients. Right. Well, that's why you're doing it. Right. Right. Sorry. Okay. That's I'm back. So walk us through now. Let's go through like now, like walk the audience through because you're an educator, you're a clinician, and now you're armed with this certification. You're armed with this information. You're saying if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna walk the walk, if I'm gonna talk to talk, I'm gonna, I gotta walk the walk and do it. So like, how, what do you bring this into now? What what does your day look like? Well, I'm a pelvic PT. Well, I have a lot of roles actually at, at UT. <laughs> So number one, I'm a pelvic PT. So I see patients about 70% of the time. So Monday through Wednesday, I'm in the clinic eight to five and then half day on Fridays. But I'm also the manager of the pelvic health program at UT Health Austin, which is a clinical arm of DelMed. So I have that role. And then I'm assistant professor. So I do teach on sexual health, pelvic health with the residence fellows and med students. So it's a lot. That is a lot. It's All right. Lot. Let me I'm going to ask two questions in two different, okay. uh, one question in two different settings. Okay. So if someone's coming to a pelvic health physical therapist, mm-hmm. they're probably at least gone through the conversation in their head that we're going to be talking about some, some, some things that might be, they, they've already had that, that kind of thought in their head. So they probably started, right. to, but let's go to an outpatient physical therapy clinic uh, on main street. Right. Right. How would you suggest that, clinician begin to have a conversation with their patient about sex if the clinician is hearing some things that's saying hey this sounds pelvic 
what's a good way to begin that conversation? Because I think a lot of people wouldn't expect it maybe from a PT because a lot of people maybe don't know what a PT is able to do. So what's a good bridge? Because as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's a conversation that you've got to have be comfortable having. Well, I think there's really two ways to answer that, you know, Jimmy. I think, number one, you need to know your business first. You need to put your own oxygen mask on first. So if you yourself, like if you can't talk to your homie about sexy time right. with full comfort, you may not want to get yourself into a situation with a patient where if you open that door, you don't know how to shut it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I always say before you open that door, establish your sexy time dream team. Who in the community can you refer this patient to? Who can you back? Who can back you up? Who? What resources can support you? Can if you ask your patient, "Hey, are you having any sexual concerns?" Because you don't have to go into like, "What are you doing in the bedroom with your partner?" You don't have to say that, but you can say, "Hey, do I have any? Do you have any sexual concerns?" And then if they say, "Yes, I do," and this, these are my concerns, you can say, "Okay, good to know." You know. Here's the person that I think is going to really support you in this. I'm going to serve as, you know, someone who can definitely shelter you and push you through this process of discovery or part of the healing process. But I would say you first need to put on your oxygen mask first and then establish a dream team and then start with just asking the patient about their concerns. But then also understand that sexual health is an indicator of health. So it's not... People who have sexual dysfunction do not view themselves as, health, as healthy as someone who doesn't have sexual dysfunction. Say that again. Say that because I feel like I feel like that's a big takeaway point. Say that again. Yeah, sexual health is an indicator of a person's overall health. So, if someone who has sexual dysfunction of any capacity, they do not view themselves as healthy as someone who does not have sexual dysfunction. And, and that's such. Yes. That's, that's going to affect a lot of different things because you're saying it's their view of themselves. Yes. It's the thing. level of distress, right? You might have someone who has erectile dysfunction, but they're not stressing. They're like, I'm good. I'm having a satisfying sex life. I'm good. They have sexual dysfunction, but it's for, for themselves. They're not perceiving it as a dysfunction. So they're fine. Whereas someone might have like very mild and they're just, they're just devastated. Yeah. I like how you you highlight um, number one. Put your put your mask on first, and and be, be you know for forewarned is forearmed, right? Understand. Right. And right. then you also point out um, the people in your neighborhood. I always hear that 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 song from Sesame. Who are the people in your neighborhood? Which is, if this goes beyond my realm, what am I going to do about it? Which, right. which goes back to what I was taught in PT school. If you're going to do a test. You have to know what you would do with a positive and a negative test. You don't just do the test for tests. Right. Sake. Do right. What are you going to do with that information? And right. some of it might be, well, if it's beyond my scope or it's beyond my not, I need to know what I'm going to do. It can't be, well, you know what? I got nothing. So uh, good luck with that. Yeah. You can't yeah. do that. So I like how you highlight, you highlight that. Absolutely. I mean, you can't, you have to what put a seatbelt on and you have to have your helmet and your knee pads on when you ride a bike or you get on a scooter, like it's the same thing. You right. just need to have, you need to have some backup. Yeah. All right. So let's talk, let's talk about this word that I did not know before we started preparing for this uh, interview. Intersectionality. What is right. intersectionality? Walk me through that. Cause I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that I, I must say that was a term that was coined by black feminist theory started by rooted in black feminist theory. It's very important that people know that because everyone wants to take credit for this. And this started by Kimberly Crenshaw, the law professor at the University of Chicago. And it talked about how 
we have to look at health, we have to look at social justice, we have to look at social determinants of equity and social determinants of health from an intersectionality lens, meaning they're intersecting pieces of power that influence a person's decision-making, that influences their health, that influences how they approach the world, how they engage with the world. For example, for me, some of my intersections is that I'm first-generation American, I'm an able-bodied, plus-sized, right? I'm not skinny. I'm a plus-size black woman with short, natural hair. So I don't straighten my hair. I don't go, I don't skew on kind of the ethnocentric standards of beauty. You know, I kept my hair natural. I have it shaved on the sides. Yes, I wear red lip and earrings, right? But <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? I, I, I'm heterosexual, I'm cisgender. But, but the, I would approach the world differently. My house would be impacted if, let's say, I was, I was trans. Or I, let's say if I was homosexual, right? If I was skinny, would that influence it? If I didn't have vision or if I, if I didn't have my hearing? So those are, that's intersectionality. We can't look at it just as man, woman, educated, not educated. There's no value. <laughs> There's no, no. You can't separate any one thing from you. It's kind of like, um, what's that? The Merchant of Venice, right? With the idea is yes. like, I want a pound of flesh. It's like, well, you can't have a pound of flesh yeah. because you can't take an ounce of anything else. So it's exactly. an impossibility to, you know, I mean, researchers know this, right? Because there's no research, nothing exists in a vacuum. Right. It really doesn't. And if you look at intersectionality, it, it, it challenges the traditional biomedical framework. It really does. When you think about it, when you look at it side by side, right? Because the biomedical framework was just looking at, okay, we just removed the illness and everything's fine. We're seeing this play out with COVID. Right. When you look at the racial disparities and everyone's like, oh, it's because everyone loves great, black people like great drink. I'm like, no, if you look at the daily stressor of racism, sexism, homophobia, ethnocentrism, that, <laughs> that is like, that is fried, that's a whole different level of type of fried chicken that they didn't choose to consume, right. that they're being force fed. So, so how do you bring this into your clinical practice, right? Because our audience is physical therapists. So sure. we like to talk about, you know, tibias, and you know, rot rotator cups. <laughs> yeah, but if yeah, you're not yeah. talking about things like intersectionality, which we just discussed, we can't remove from the equation because our equation involves a human, and that and every human, even if we check a lot of similar boxes, each of them is going to be different. How do you bring that into clinical practice? How would you how do you how do you teach your students in terms of what to pay attention, how to pay attention, and how to bring that into clinical practice with a person? Well, the thing about it is uh First off, I start with with the med students in particular. You know, you start with foundational knowledge. They need to know about this. They need to start thinking this way. This is like this is basic stuff, right? Very basic. Um, but they still need to learn it, and they need that repetition. So when we're talking about clinical cases and you're approaching that patient, you know, it's not just 33 year old African American female, blah 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what is their sexuality? Ooh. You're asking, they're telling you they're having pain with penetrative intercourse. They're having pain with intercourse. Are they having penetrative intercourse? These are relevant things, right? Did you check their stress level? Did you talk about that, right? How are they doing with all what's happening with George Floyd? Sandra, Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, all those things are getting, they're thinking about, they're nervous about it. And I want to bring, right? I want to bring this back in. Why would you be considering that because of intersectionality? 
because, because of intersectionality. Everything is related. It is all, it is all, they're all, it's all related. It's all related, right? If we're not asking about it, right? Like Ibram Kendi says, either you're racist or you're anti-racist. You can't just sit there and be silent and watch oppression happen. That means you're racist because you're sitting there passively doing nothing. It's okay. So either you're active, actively anti-racist or you're just racist. And, and I, and people need to just normalize that word racism too, in the sense that like, it's not just, it's not like being a communist, right? Like it's like a stain. People are like, no, I'm like, they're very like you minimizing the experience of a person of color or a black person or an Asian person um, in their experience in life. And you're saying, well, I don't do that. Or I have Asian friends or I have Latino friends and blah, blah, blah. It's, that's racist. Is there a more Sorry. is there a more cop out statement to someone who's displayed racist tendencies and maybe they don't know it, but is there a more cop out statement to well I have black friends? That is doesn't there, is there like that's the that's the most cop out statement. It's like wait that that's not what I said. I didn't ask who your friends were. I've just said you've displayed something that was racist and your defense was but I have black friends. Right, because they want to separate themselves from it. Right, right. Right? They want to separate themselves from that moral stain of racism. I'm like, lean into that. Because I'm telling you that that was problematic. Right. And As the, the, yeah. The defense was, but I'm not. It's like, but, but you didn't listen to what I said. That's what you're, you're saying. You didn't listen right. to what I said to you. Right. And normally the knee jerk, right? The knee jerk response right. is going to be, you're angry. Um, you have the problem, right? It's back to that kind of, you know, ideas of professionalism that are actually rooted in Jim Crow laws and behaviors that now we've, you know, because I always say professionalism is like the new, like, Jim Crow laws when we're thinking about it. Um, and the way that people define what's professional, what isn't professional. Um, it's, it's just, it's very fascinating, the layers of that. And so if we're bringing it back to like, how do you do this in the clinic? Well, you do this by asking your patients about the real life events that occur that impact them directly, that you know impact them directly. Will they, will they trust you enough to tell you what they're feeling? Maybe, maybe not, right? Are they themselves woke to feel it? I don't know. But asking it validates to them and teaches them, this is relevant to your health. Right. By, by simply asking them, you're teaching them, this is relevant to your health. You, you don't have to internalize any of this. I'm asking you how you're doing. I'm asking you if you need some support and resources, right? Use measures that measure racism. That's simple, simple. If we can do, you know, ODI, lower extremity functional scale, whatever people use, PFDI 20. What about the daily discrimination scale? You'd be surprised. Yeah. If they standardize that, what people will check, you'd be like, dang. How, how do, how do students respond to you bringing these things up in their health education? Because I bet you some of them didn't expect it. I'm at an institution that that is their core value. So if that oh, student yeah. isn't down for that, like, I'm sorry. All right. So that was kind of like something that was, uh, that was on the side of the door. It was, that was on the brochure. Like if this Basically. isn't okay for you, don't. Yeah. Don't yeah. But it doesn't mean that they're woke and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that the institution is woke either. All right. But well, if that's, Let's make sure. So I'm a, I'm a word guy. Let's make yeah. sure I understand because I don't I don't think I heard the word woke before a year and a half, maybe two years ago. Sure. And what I think happens is 
the more a word gets used, the more it gets used a little bit off center. And next thing you know, that word is being, you know, reassigned to a different definition. Right. So what, how do you, how would you define it? Like how, how do you use it? Or when you use it, what is your, what, is, what, what does it mean? A woke person is, or a woke institution is an institution that understands that um, black lives matter. It centers sexuality, can talk about sexuality in a realm that isn't scary. They can talk about, they have a social justice framework. They're awake to intersectional, intersecting components of power. They understand that it's really, we need to be talking about social determinants of equity first, before we talk about social determinants of health. Everyone just loves talking about social determinants of health. I'm like, if you don't talk about social determinants of equity, like racism, capitalism, sexism, homophobia, those directly influence social determinants of health. And that's where we the intervention needs to be. It's fascinating how people just are not talking about that. It's really fascinating. Is this because, is this because a majority of the population looks like Jimmy and assumes yes. that everybody else has the same shared experience? And so yes. I should assume that you react the same way to, to other things that I do. So I don't, I can't understand why you're reacting differently. Absolutely. And I think that everyone still really believes and like kind of builds their whole life on this pull yourself up from the bootstraps. And the funny thing is that that, that is a real thing if you're a straight white person, right? Because the system was designed for that archetype. Everybody else, they are pulling themselves from the bootstrap, but they're kind of starting in less fertile soil. I, I heard it doesn't it. take away from the person's success that they achieve. But to say that people are starting on an unequal footing, right? to, to tell someone who's like kind of starting in quicksand, pull yourself from the bootstraps, yeah, okay. But you you're starting on a hill, right? I mean the 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 phrase that I was taught was uh, was born on third base and thought you hit a triple, right? And you're and you're saying, well, pull yourself up from the boot. I forget where I got. It. I would love to give credit, but um, you want to go back to physics, right? And we've said if you're sitting down, can you in fact pull yourself up from your bootstrap? It's close, and the, and the, it was a, it was like a guy who was like, I said, it's a closed system. He's like, you can't pull yourself up if you are sitting on the ground from your own boots. You need something to pull. And this is just what a PT says. Would you ever have right. a patient pull themselves up with their own shoelaces? No, you need something stable to push to push against. hundred percent. And if you're set in a, if you're if you're in a position where I start higher than you, I can't tell you, well, you should try harder. That's not a, that's that's not a fair. Um, what are conversations that we're not having? Because I, I feel like in the last year, we have had conversations on this show, <sighs> conversations with friends. And I feel like as a guy who came through communications, news cycles usually last about six to eight weeks, right? And then it's just I'm kind of tired. The audience is tired out about it. Um, but I feel like if you stop talking about it, that's where progress stalls. And I think <sighs> that unless we, and I put myself in that, unless most of the population in this country who are white continue to say, we're going to change this, which, and by this, I mean, perceptions of where things actually are in terms of race, 
and the view on other races, if unless we have these conversations and keep them up, nothing will change. This will be, oh, remember, we, we, didn't we do that? We, we talked about it. It's over. Did, wasn't there a march and we had a hashtag? Those are great. So my question is, what are the conversations we're not having now that we need to be three, four months removed from the news cycle? I think the thing about it is the conversations that people are not having is that as a black person, I talk about this all the time. Not because I like want to be sad, <laughs> you know, I want to be angry. It's not that it's my daily life. I could be walking down the street, minding my own business and something will hit me. Yeah. I, I don't my have whole. Yeah. My know. whole life. I mean, think about it. My whole life I spend making white people comfortable and it's not because I consciously was like, I need to make white people comfortable. It's just that that's how you survive. Right. There are a lot of times in my whole, up, like my whole upbringing, right? I grew up in Dallas. I went to parochial school, private school from the get, you know, and I just watched white people and how they function and you learn, right? And James Baldwin says, you know, he's, if you watch I Am Not Your Negro, one of the best documentaries I've seen on race and racism, he talks about this, right? He's like, you have to, it is your survival code to understand how white people operate because that's the system. You play their game, right? And I think people just don't, people need to start talking about that. And we also need to talk about leadership. It is the leaders. The leaders need to be the wokest, dopest of the crew. I'm tired of seeing companies and startups come to me and be like, I need you to fix us. Well, what are your values? What are your objectives? You can't create all this training. You can't create all this stuff if you don't have a core value. If your people aren't, if your leaders are not examining it, how are they going to intervene when something, when something racist happens, which is every day? If it's not part of your values, then no one can violate that value. Right. And they'll just say, um, well, it's not one of our values. A lot of these PT practices, a lot of these PT businesses really need to take like, they, not like a surface level look. Who are you hiring? What is actually inclusion, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion, those are not one in the same. It it's like almost a stepwise process. The diversity part is easy. You can grab a bunch of excellent people of color. <laughs> That's not a problem. The problem is your system, the culture. Is it inclusive? Is it equitable? How do we make that equity? What is defined? How are we defining equity? Like really thinking about this, but a lot of times people are just kind of in this framework of like, if you work hard, if you do this, if you accomplish that, no. Sorry. I mean, I, you know? I, and I'll be honest. I was somebody who a couple of years ago would have said, I don't understand or I'm not getting it. I, I, I was definitely someone who was like, I don't, I don't think, I mean, to use that term woke, I don't think I was until probably two years, like maybe, I mean, I mean, recently. Yeah. And and I'll say as someone who now is like shit, I was part of the problem. And you can, you can say you can plead ignorance um, as a defense, right? Because that's your first, as we mentioned, that's your first instinct, which is like, well, no, no, no. Um, it takes effort to understand that the thing. I mean, Michael Cromarty, who's a new grad PT, came on the show, and I knew him when he was a student, and he wrote an article about code switching. Uh -huh. And he, when he said, 
I had several people in my life, family members and close friends who said, you should think about publishing this because this might affect you professionally down the line because you're, you know, on the Internet stuff just lives on forever. Sure. And when he was done talking about his article, I said, Michael, I am I'm 41 years old. I'm white. I've never, ever, ever thought about the repercussions of me saying something, which also, by the way, I mean, I've, I've thought about repercussions like, you know, don't say something just but like, oh, yeah. he was saying he was telling his story and someone was saying people, multiple people were saying, think, think again about that, because this might not play out well for you in the future. I was like, Michael, I've never had to censor myself like that. So I that it blew my mind. But and oh. you mentioned that before you mentioned walking down the street. You need to think about that. That's not a world I live in, but it is. Well, imagine being in a boardroom. Like I'm, I'm, the, I'm the only PT on faculty in this med school, right? Imagine going in a room where you're around all white people, and you see people interact, right? And in these situations, some people pop off a little bit more than other people, and you look at their behaviors. And I, you know, I always notice. I'm like, I could never pop off like that. Why? I'd be fired. I would be arrested. I would be fired on the Why? spot. Because I'm black. Because um, I'm black. Here it this is. Here she comes. Is scary. Right. This is scary. If I raise my voice, because this, this is my this is my meeting voice. So um, here's how I think that we should approach this. Like my concern might be right. You see how you, I lower my go, voice? You gotta go probably at a three. I have to you always want to be at a nine. Even if I'm being yelled at. Because like watch this, like say like okay, I don't understand why you're coming at me like that. I don't know. You see, you know, and then it's. And then think about think about your reaction when I just did that, right? You see my body language where I was like this? What was your knee jerk? Like really think about that and be honest with yourself. Because if I do that, and then if you see like if you see like Giselle, that's the only white per lady I can think of right now, like Giselle coming in and just being like, it's a you wouldn't feel you wouldn't feel you wouldn't feel threatened by her. You would kind of be like, oh, so, so now let's go, let's go to research, right? Like wasn't the uh wasn't the head of the of the uh, of the the Olympics just removed from his position because he made a comment that when females are involved in meetings, meetings go longer. And someone actually had research on this, and they said, actually, when females are involved in meetings, the meetings are shorter. So he had to resign because he went ahead and stuck his foot in his mouth. But it, I mean, you bring up a good a point that's been brought it's perception when you well, see her in the room people expect her to act a certain way and do not want her to act a different way right and that's not fair get, right because when i get mad i get mad i can tell you i can tell you this my white colleagues can get mad they can throw things they can pop off nothing's gonna happen to them Right. Nothing is going to happen to them. And also another thing, Jimmy, that I think people are talking about is my white colleagues get the benefit of individuality. They get the benefit of the doubt. Their potential is considered. If I make a mistake, all of the black people that come behind me are represented by that. are represented by that one behavior. Right. So imagine that being your daily stress. I don't consciously think about it, but imagine that I always have to be code switching. I always have to be tempering stuff. And everyone's like, I have to watch what I say at work. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. 
But you don't have to watch just what you say. You got to watch how you say it or how you're not saying it or how your face is or. But think about it, right? I grew up in upper class Dallas and I watched a lot of my white male friends pop off at cops with just complete disrespect. Like they throw things. There was never a moment in my brain that anything would happen to them. Never. But what do you tell black people or black boys in particular about their interactions with the cops? Just listen to them, follow the rules. Why aren't you following the rules? Sure. Right. But even when they are following the rules, things, it's not a guarantee that things are going to go. No, no, no. Right. And, and, and when we look at Amy Cooper in that situation where she knew, she knew when she fit, cause she knew that the society is ingrained to protect white women. She knew that when she brought the cops into the situation. Cooper was Central Park, the bird watcher, right? Yes, the bird watcher. But she fake cried. She called the cops. She said the black man was. Right. She just got off. She got a misdemeanor. She got a misdemeanor as of yesterday. Yeah, she did. Of course. Sure. I mean. I mean, why would expect. I mean, this is the thing our society understands about, you know, I don't know if you saw Trevor Noah's video about it, but you should check it out. He did it last year about the social contract. And it's like time and time again, I'm expected to rise above. I'm expected to be, do all these things, people of color, black people, all of that, right? But then when we finally are saying enough is enough, everyone's like, you're the savage. Am I though? Right. Am I though? Who's the savage here? Not me. I have a question for you. And I asked this of Lisa Van Hoos like a few months ago because she gets brought on a lot of podcasts or to events to talk about. And so my question, I was like, Lisa, because I interact with her. I interacted with her several times in like a few week period. Yeah. Like, Lisa, are you exhausted? Like, because you're literally having to explain how you see the world to people who just assume who, who, don't want to understand how you see the world. Like that is exhausting. Or I shouldn't say that's exhausting. I should ask that as a question. Is that exhausting? To me, it, it seems like it would be terribly exhausting. You know, uh, I, that's a very good question. I think about this a lot. I think it depends on the environment that you're in. Some environments, it's way more exhausting than others. What are the higher... The- the higher the stakes, the more exhausting it is. When there's less of you in the space, it's very tiring. You get so my like point? where you are at school. So the when higher you rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have less protection. You have less representation. Um, you're, you're kind of standing on your own um, for the most part. And that's why you're seeing black women with terminal degrees, with great education, six-figure salaries are sicker than white women with high school degrees. And it's the stress. It's the stress. You know, I make this joke where I say, you know, I'm not Captain Save-A-Ho, right? Like I can't, I can't save everybody. <laughs> I got to put my own face mask on first. Correct. But at the same time, right, you know, I still need to represent, right? And that's some internalized stuff that I need to work on. But I think a lot of Black women 
take on that role. Like Dr. Van Hoos, like, you know, she's one of, she's one of the people that I look up to. And I just think, man, the things that she's seen. Must be right. And she must. And I said, because I, I, I think it was you know? a period where we had her either on a show or on a conference or I was doing something with it. And I was like, Lisa, like you're everywhere. Like, are mm-hmm. you exhausted? She goes, the only reason I'm not, I think one of her lines was like, I think the only reason I'm not terribly exhausted is it's virtual. I only have to go to my computer, but like, cause she would have, to, she would be, be asked to all black women. That's not fair on her. At all. That's not fair. Yeah. Can't do that. It's it's exhausting. And it's tiring. You know? Um but what what is something what is something since our audience is mainly physical therapists and physical therapist yeah. assistants that you would say like give them one thing to do? Because we know if we know anything about exercises or like things that we should do, we know that the the fewer that you give, the more often, the more uh, likely they'll do it. Like if you want to in- include inclusivity in a company's culture, right? Cause there's a lot of PTs who work in small clinics. That's where I think the biggest wins could happen, right? Big company cultures, hard to change. Small company cultures, less people, a little more agile. What's something that they could do to make inclusivity change in a company's culture? Um, understand your power and use it. Um, I had a great friend of mine. I will not mention his name because I didn't get his permission, but I will say that we went to school together and I used to nickname him the gold white boy because everyone was like, oh my God, you know, he's beautiful. He's physically raw, you know, like he's a snack, right? He's a white man snack, just gorgeous, right? And and he he was low-key woke. Like he always, he always challenged people. Like if he saw some nonsense, he would, you could tell he would give some side eye. And then I, I kind of came up to him and I was like, yo, homie, use, like, use your power. Shut that stuff down when you see it. You are literally the epitome of like white male gaze, right? Use your privilege for good. Well, that's the only thing, that's the only way something you know? will change, right? Huh? That's the only way something will change, right? Because if you have a but, if, you have, if a minority of people asking the majority of people to change their perception, and the and the minority of the only people doing the work, and the minor and the majority doesn't change, we are going to have this conversation again yes. for thirty more years. On yes, right. And I told him, I said, you have to make this part of your. You're a leader. You have to shut it down. You have to talk about it. You have to create spaces. You have to think. I said, you don't even have to think differently because like, he, he was already there. He just needed to put it into practice every day. And so years later now, he's like the wokest, dopest person I know and just slinging his wokeness. <laughs> and people don't realize that it's going to come out of his mouth. Because when you look at him, you're like, mm. and then he starts saying stuff and you're like, oh, okay. So I would love for, you know, you're not going to call this guy out or anything. I would love to know did he did he make that leap in terms of turning up turning up his volume because you pushed him because you yes. pushed him? I like to say that he turned up the volume because of me. I want to give myself the credit, but I also think that he was is an incredibly integrity. He has a lot of integrity, and and I was a nag. I nagged because I just knew I was like, nah. Yeah, but did you nag or did you 
point out because you said he was doing it already. You said he was low key woke. That was where you were. Like, he was low key woke. Yeah. So did he turn it up because now, you know, go back to humans and how insecure we typically all are, even if we think, even if we know we're right. I'm using air quotes. Yeah. We're all like, we're always looking for permission. Like all of us in any, I mean, myself included, like to the nth degree. The thing is, do you think I, I, I give yourself more credit? Like you kind of gave him permission, even though he didn't need it. I did. I did. But I think the thing is he's realizing now years later that his privilege is that he doesn't actually need any permission. That is, that oh, is the privilege, oh, right? That is but, how you reach self-transcendence. I know. Right. And, like, and he's, he just thought, oh, wow, I should have been. But I think that, but I also think that his journey was intentional. He worked on it, but he also surrounded himself with, with woke people who, who were like consistently pushing. If you, it's really hard if that's not, if you look at your friends, right? Our parents always say, your friends kind of are who you are. Right. right. You find people you surround yourself with and whatnot. And if you're surrounding yourself with a bunch of people that says, no, you, you have a black dentist. <laughs> you're good. Then. That's a cop out. That's a cop out. That's what I mean before when I said like, well, I have a black friend. I'm like that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're not racist. It doesn't mean you're not an asshole. Like right. you, can, you can still be an asshole. <laughs> hundred I mean, percent. That's the thing, right? <laughs> don't, don't listen to what anybody says. Watch yeah. what they do. Because if you say something and do another, well, you know, actions speak loud. Well, we know that that's a cliche for a reason. Actions, in fact, speak louder than words. So if you tell me you're not a racist, but you act racist, guess which one I'm going to assume? Guess which one is Absolutely. true? Right. Absolutely. I, can I just add one more thing? Because you, can because add you asked me about, about one thing to add to that they can do. Please, Dr. Cameron Jones, MD, PhD, has an excellent tech talk about racism. It's called Gardner's Tales TED Talk. I think that should be fundamental viewership for literally every human being on the planet. It's, I think, 18 minutes. I play a clip of it in my course, and she breaks down racism, how it plays out, how it incorporates so well. So watch that if that's one thing you want to do. We'll put, we'll throw that link in the uh, in the comments as well. Is there anything I didn't? T I mean, well, first of all, I mean, never mind. At halfway through the question, I was like, is there anything we didn't talk about that you'd want to? I'm pretty sure we could talk a lot. We but, could talk a lot. But I mean, yeah. I got to respect your time and whatnot tonight. But is there anything I you know I didn't bring up that um, you'd want to throw in? I always like to throw that out because like if I didn't ask a good question, but you had something that you're like, I want to throw this in. I want to make sure I open that door. Yes, I, I will. I want to say this because because I know I was super honest. I was real. I, was real honest. I was super honest, which is actually I just want you to know it was not easy for me to be this crunk. But after years of speaking on diversity and equity and inclusion, I'm like, I just I just need to be plain Reps. as possible. Reps. This is just I can't I can't be polite about this anymore. Be kind to yourself in this process. It's not going to feel good if you doing this right. You're going to feel bad, awkward, and you're going to feel shameful. You're going to feel, oh, and that's just stop making it about your feelings. Don't get stuck in your feelings. Keep charging forward. Like we all had to do this with school. Like the learning, you know, I got this quote. I have a friend, Edwin. He texts me these quotes every morning. God bless him. 
And he said, the top of the mountain isn't slick. You wouldn't get to the top if it were slick. It's going to be if, rocky. If it were what? Slick? If it's slick. You can't get to the top of the mountain if it's slick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And you just have to kind of know that you're going to feel some type of way. You're going to be learning a lot of things. But you really have to do a lot of unlearning to actually wake up to what's actually happening around it feels uncomfortable. I'll tell you, like I felt, I felt, and I, uh, I said this months a uh, year ago. I was like, I was right there with you. I was, I was right there with, and I was, and when you that, it's that moment, and use the word shame, and I was like, yeah, no, that's an emotion. Mm -hmm. And I talked to somebody who's a psychologist, and he's like, um, we talked a lot about the difference between shame and guilt. And yeah. He's, uh, and he's, I want to make sure I don't screw this up because he watches the show. Uh, shame. Uh, is what I feel like, like I'm a bad person and guilt is I've done something bad. So it's like shame is very internal and that's hard. Uh, and shame is something we definitely will push as hard as we can to not feel that. That is like a deep seated because that's like, it's like talking about who you are. And, Absolutely. If, and if you start to half wake up about something and you all of a sudden you realize that, oh, this was not good. I'm I've been doing this wrong. Um, pay attention to like, okay, like that's a good, you're, you're coming out of it. Like the, you're, you're realizing something. Let's, let's focus on what you can do, what you can become, right? You're so don't make that about shame is what I'm getting at because shame means you are a bad person. Let's, let's make this be more about what you could become and what you've just learned about. Okay. You feel bad about what you've been doing for a long time. I understand that's difficult to have a conversation about. What can we do about it? Yeah. We can continue Absolutely. that conversation. Um, I want to make sure I, uh, I share your website. So where do you want people to go? What's the best sites? You see, logic.com. Why are you like you see that? Well, now it's on yep, the screen. Yeah, it's on the screen. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you can DM me there. You can message me there for bourbon tales questions. I can I talk about my course. Do I talk about that stuff here? Yeah, we yeah. have no okay. have at it. <laughs> So I have this. I like the fact that you're like, can I talk about my course after we've gotten <laughs> real deep stuff? Like that's the thing you're like, can I talk about this here? <laughs> that's the thing you asked me if I could pump the brakes. Yes, I want to give you respect, sir. I want to give you respect. No, promote away, please do. Um, no, I have this course that I created last summer uh, called Intersections of Racism and Power: Healthcare Redefined, and we're having a Black History Month sale, so 15% off. But if you register uh, for my newsletter, you get 20% off the course. And I'm really excited about it. It's, it's, I think this is the fifth time I've taught the class. And it's just been a really great experience. And we have Woke is the New Sexy t-shirts that half of the proceeds are going to um, local Austin organizations that elevate the Black community for Black History Month. So when, when, someone's, uh, when someone takes it, they go from and they are transformed to what? When they go from what to what? Like how would when you... I think they go from like asleep to awake. Honestly, that is the whole point of the course. Pause right there. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Um, are you ready to play three questions? We do three yes. questions for all the guests. All right, let's do three questions right now. Let's knock that up. Three questions from our friends at fusionmedstaff.com. Do I, I mean, I just I, I like talking about organizations like this because they're just like, so we want to promote our organization. I'm like, great. I have a podcast. We get that, that <laughs> month. I'm like, what do you do? And they're like, we find uh, 
jobs for PTs and PTAs. I'm like, got it. Okay, so staffing agency. And they're like, anywhere they want to go. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah. You want to be a travel PT or PTA? You got the damn license. Let that license be like a driver's license. Do what you want to do where you want to do it. That's awesome. And they were like, yeah, then that's that's what we do. I was like, all right, do you need me to say more about that? And they're like, maybe the website. I'm like, okay, great. Fusionmedstaff.com. So that is pretty much it. That's what they do. Uh, so they, they sponsor three questions. So the first question is, you're in Miami, but you live in Texas. So the first question is always a where question. Uh, where's somewhere you, uh, you you can't wait to go? Like once we're just allowed to take vacations willy nilly, like where you have where you where you want to go? Seychelles and Maldives. Yeah, is that where they have like the stilts, the houses on stilts with the blue yes. water? Yes, I go there too. Uh, well, I was in Grenada just oh. before COVID, and I will be honest, that is a place that it doesn't get a lot of press. That was, I would love to go back. That place was, it's like this big. And you know what? I almost don't want to tell people to go there because I'm like, let's keep that a secret. Because I was about to be like, we should have kept this low key. Yeah, we should. We oh, should have. All the tea. But it's cool. It's cool. Second I'm going to add that to the list. Grenada is very nice. Second question is a what question. What's something that you think the audience uh, should watch, read, or, or listen to? So book, movie, podcast. Doesn't have to be PT related. It could be anything, whatever. I would just say like, what's, what's good? Okay, uh, I am not your Negro documentary, uh, and um, unorthodox that Netflix show that came out last summer. Well, I heard about that bomb. That was a series, right? Yeah, it was like a mini series. I think it had like five or six episodes, but it was. This is how I build my Netflix queue. This is how I do it. Uh, yeah. Last question is: We like to start and end with people. Uh, who is someone the audience should know more about? By the oh. way, friend Jennifer Hale was named multiple times as a person who people should know more about. Um, I was Dr. Jennifer Hale, Dr. Tracy Blake. Okay. Oh, and Ichioma Aloyu. Um, she wrote, let's talk about race. And I just love her. All right. That's three questions. You're off the hot seat from fusion medical, uh, fusionmedstaff.com, uh, hashtag travel PT. Last thing we do on the show is the parting shot. Not cube and it's just like a rubik's cube and it just spins around i don't know how we got that but uh party shot brought to you by our friends from the academy of orthopedic physical therapy find them online at orthopt.org uh leaders in orthopedic physical therapy if you want to uh, level up your orthopedic game they have uh independent study courses iscs they're like courses you take online uh and one of them is current concepts of orthopedic pt it is the, like a great way to go from feeling like, I think I want to be, get my OCS to like, hey, I have my OCS. It's designed and you know created by the Academy of Orthopedic PT. I'm not sure how to like give it a better recommendation other than they made it and they are the Academy of Orthopedic PT. So that's all I got for you. Uh, so parting shot really is like your last chance for like mic drop moment, like just wrap the episode up, tie it in a bow. What do you got for us? Um. Learning about racism and sexy time is a process. It's a continuous journey. So just know that you'll always learn something new. Doesn't matter if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 plus. Trust the process. It is a process. Trust the process. I mean, we say that a lot, uh, lifelong learners and whatnot. 
But if you don't actually, mean, if you just mean it clinically, you're not a real, I mean, like we talked about intersectionality. You're not just a clinician. You're a human and you're white or, or black and you're, and you're this sex, you know, and this gender. Like, so like lifelong learner needs to be about everything, not just your job. Right. I mean, I think that that's a really great insight by you. Yeah, absolutely. And I have one more person to add that we need to know more about. Stacey Abrams. I've been a Stacey Abrams fan for years before she became Stacey Abrams. And I think everyone should read more about that. What was she before Stacey Abrams? Who was she before? She was just a social justice superstar. All right. She was a political superstar that just was rising to the, just believed in democracy so aggressively and so much. And I think uh, she saved us all. I love it. Uh, You see, I'd love to have you come back. Topic of your choice. I, I, I'm a little. I, I literally was like, I, I thought I picked the right drink for UC, but she didn't have brown water. But we'll do brown water next time. And I'll be home next time, so I'll have all of the brown water. All right. Well, I'll, here's how about this. Next time we have you back on, I want. Here's what I want to do. I want to have you back on. I want you to pick two other people to bring on with us to have a like a four person conversation, and then you get p- to pick. Uh, the drink a few days beforehand so we can go out and get it so we can all be drinking the same thing. How about that? Well, you know, Dr. Hale is my next door neighbor. Well, so. <laughs> we got you and Jennifer Hale. We need one more guest and me and Brown Water and we're set for a good conversation. Yeah, and then you, we yeah. all will all pick one topic and then we'll just do some crosstalk. That's what we'll do. I love it. All right. You see, it. I appreciate your time. Thank you for the insight. The audience is going to love it. And, uh, and thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Love the PT Pinecast? Yes, yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play. All right, show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management, Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. ptpinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It's poured fresh by me, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. Ingredients are sourced by our chief connections officer, Sky Donovan from Marymount University. And it's brewed fresh by producer and physical therapist, Juliet Dassinger. And by producer and creator, second year PT student, Bridget Nolan from Sacred Heart University. PT Pinecast is a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. Make sure to follow us online at PT Pinecast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. And if you found value in the show, all we ask is that you tell a friend. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.